Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. So today we're going to carry on the, uh, the Advantage Sermon Series. It's the last one in the series about the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk about the anointing. And uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, John 16, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, this is what we kind of hung, hung our hats on here. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do depart, I will send him to you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I said this last week too, but the, the, the close personal relationship you have with me in the sense that you can actually reach out and touch me, ask me a question. You can shake my arm and say, hey, what's going on? You got so, such close personal access and proximity to Jesus. He's saying there's something even better. There's something better. God is going to come and he's going to live inside of you. It's a simple truth, but that is Christianity 101. God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's what this whole thing's about. So we talked about how the, the advantage that we have is just that. It's an advantage, and he's a person. He's the helper. He's God, and it's a person. The, the advantage God's given us isn't, uh, it's gifts, but it's gifts as the manifestation of a person. It's not a force. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not impersonal. There's a person who's come. We talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That person wants to manifest himself in us and through us, and he wants to do it, and, and it's as easy as just believing. It's as easy as, like we heard, like just believe and you'll see the glory of God. We, we talked about how, how we can make this whole thing simple. And if you walk in love and you have the kind of faith that's expressed through love, motivated by love, activated by love, you're going to manifest the gifts of the Spirit. And it's really just that easy. It's, it's by a faith that's informed by a love and a care. So Jesus did some things. It says he, he was moved by compassion. He felt the compassion of God and he moved and he did miracles. So we, we talked about, uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor talked about cessationism and how the, the, there's this belief out there that Holy Spirit is somehow present, but he doesn't want to do anything. And I think most people in this room can attest to the fact that that's not true, just by what we've experienced here today. Holy Spirit's here, and he's doing stuff today. So today, the anointing, and I'm going to define it for you real quick, just so you have something to have, like, have a handle for when we, when we talk about it. But the anointing, it is straight up the person and power of Holy Spirit working through humanity to accomplish the or a divine purpose. What the word actually means, the basic definition, is it just means to smear with oil. So like, I don't know, I, I had a really bad example yesterday of somebody painting somebody with oil, but you think about like finger painting or something, like you think of that page just getting smeared all over with paint, right? That, that's the idea here, is that you've, you've been touched by God, smeared by God with this Holy Spirit, and he's just all over you. He's on you, he's in you, he's smeared in your inner man. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I got blessed today just thinking about that verse in Ephesians where it says that he would strengthen you with might in the inner man. See, I want to believe for stuff, and sometimes it's kind of like, oh my goodness, when's it going to happen? No, feel the anointing of God on you today. Feel him inside of you, strengthening you, and giving you faith to keep believing, to keep going. Now, this subject is really, really, really important. Now, we talk about a God who does miracles. We sing about the God who does miracles. And I hope you have a big, big, big hope in your life that you're going to see God do ridiculous, amazing stuff. 
all the stuff you hope for, all the stuff we talk about, all the stuff we want to see, all the stuff we sing about, God said he's going to do it, and he's going to do it in a particular way. It's not going to be by might, right? It's not going to be by power. It's going to be by his spirit. So it's pretty important getting to know this person that we've been given, the advantage that we have. Last week, when we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to do this again for today, is, is just talk about foundations for a minute. Because like the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes the idea of the anointing, sometimes our ideas, uh, they're not wrong per se, but it, it's all the accompanying surrounding stuff that can kind of get in the way sometimes. So when, when we talk about foundations, when we talk about anything, we, we have to have this settled, right? No foundation can be laid other than that which is laid, and that's Christ Jesus. He is the foundation of your life. He is the foundation of every spiritual experience, of every encounter you have with God, any hope that you have in life. It has to come and spring out of your connection with God through Jesus Christ. He's the foundation that's been laid. And there isn't anything else that's worth building your life on. It's not worth building your life on the pursuit of gifts and all that kind of stuff if it's not rooted out of Jesus. Now, foundations are really important. Uh, I, I find, personally, when we talk about Especially when you talk about, say, the anointing experiences, Holy Spirit experiences with people who maybe aren't Christians or people in, in other denominations that aren't as open to this stuff, uh, sometimes we can sound a little bit weird, right? Sometimes we, we can be a little bit strange, and, and strange is okay. Holy Spirit does strange stuff, like people walking around looking like they're drunk. That looks weird, but that's legit Holy Spirit. The, the apostles had a, a ministry of, of explanation. They were explaining what Holy Spirit was up to and doing, and that's cool. I mean, I would much rather a ministry of explanation than a ministry of, of, of theorizing and hypothesizing what might happen one day, but being able to explain what's going on. So that's a good thing, right? That's really good. So they're running around, they're explaining stuff because weird stuff's happening. But weird doesn't have to mean flaky, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, just kind of, <laughs> I don't really know what's happening. I don't really know anything. No, Holy Spirit, watch this. This is one of my favorite verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10. It says, the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. If you're involved in relationship with Holy Spirit, he's going to bring you into depth. He's going to create depth in you as a person, and he's going to speak to you deep things. He is deep. He's personable. He's fun. But there's, there's substance and weightiness to him. He, he thinks good, deep thoughts. He, he's a person of substance and character. And the Hebrew word for glory, it, kavod, it is actually means weight. There's weightiness to the glory of God. There's weightiness to the person of Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with him, you're going to manifest that same thing. So as Christians, it's always a good idea. When we talk about the anointing, we talk about spiritual things, don't drift too far from Jesus, right? Let him be the one who defines our truth, who makes sense of everything else. Because I found that the, the problem we can get into when we talk about uh, experiential stuff, like my experience with Holy Spirit or the anointing, things like that, uh, because it's experiential, and thank God is so subjective, we all have our own experience with God, right? Praise God, that's awesome. We've all experienced him. But, but because it's subjective, because it's experiential, sometimes it's hard to talk about. And, and so you kind of grope around for handles to try and find language or a good picture to, to use to, to help describe what you're experiencing or to talk about what you'd like to experience. So naturally, sometimes we, we turn to the Bible, which is a great place to go to get your language, right? The Bible's full of great pictures and imagery and symbols and stuff like that. 
But a lot of those symbols and imageries, uh, like say the anointing oil, the wine, all that stuff, that is to point you to the reality of the substance of Jesus Christ. Right? So when you experience these things, and you, you sometimes you know the tendency is to go to the Old Testament to find the pictures. Those pictures are meant to point to Jesus, not have substance in your own personal life and world. The substance comes through Jesus. And the trick is to not take the, the, the Old Testament legalism, law-based mentality, performance mentality that the pictures and the images and the symbols are, are couched in with you when you use those symbols and pictures. We don't want to bring into our, our language of Holy Spirit or our, uh, our pursuit of him, our relationship with him. We don't want to bring in, the as beautiful as the pictures are, the idea that we need to perform. We don't want that right. at all. Right. Not at all. And this is really, really important. Now, this is just a little bit of my own story in this regard. I had a time in my life when I was, I was really, really, really messed up by this stuff. I, uh, I grew up in a... In, in an environment where at the Baptist church I went to, I, I, I gotta be honest, it was lovely people. I didn't hear a lot about Holy Spirit. If I did, I wasn't paying attention. I was too concerned with my mom giving me lifesavers so I'd behave. I think she's watching too, so I'm gonna be careful. But uh, I, when, when I did become a Christian, become a Christian I, I got a hold of this book by Benny Hinn, Good Morning Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I read it and I was like, oh my goodness, wow. Holy Spirit actually talks to people. He moves. You can feel him. What? And I just, I wanted that so bad. I was hungry for that. I was just like, my life pursuit was now, I need to experience Jesus. So I was like, well, I want to put myself in positions where I have. So I, I would, uh, I, I made my own little tracks. And I was living in England at the time. I, I don't know what I did. I put a couple Bible verses, said, call me we'll talk about Jesus. And I was living with my aunt and uncle at the time. I don't think they appreciated that. But uh, so here's me on the streets handing out stuff. And I'm trying the Benny Hinn stuff. I'm giving them a tract and I'm going, looking for somebody to fall over and nothing's happening. (laughs) But I I wanted it. I desperately wanted to see it. And then, so I, I, I got access to this information. Wow, Jesus wants to be real and present in my world and in my life. So naturally, just the kind of person that I am, I started to read. I read books. I got myself educated. I learned some stuff. I, you know, I could tell you all about how to get the anointing, how to keep the anointing, how to preserve the anointing, how not to scare the dove away, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I was really, really messed up. I knew I was saved by grace, but all that Holy Spirit stuff that I was learning about, that I was hearing about, that I was watching on TV, I mean, I'd sit for hours and watch the God Channel just because I love seeing people fall over. I was just like, that's crazy. I got to know who the who the ministries on TV were that, that people fell over when they prayed. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jesus, cool. I yeah, <laughs> I was really messed up though. Hungry for God, fantastic, but but I was just a mess. I, I was like super hyper religious too. Like I could fast like the best of them. I'd do stupid stuff like set my alarm at two in the morning and be like, I'm fasting sleep. I'm gonna get up at two and I'm gonna stay awake till four and I'm gonna do 16 praise you Jesuses until something happens and something shifts. I, I literally roll up my the, you know my pant legs so I could pray beside my bed on the carpet so it would hurt because I was like, yeah, that's pleasing to Jesus, right? Right? <laughs> Who doesn't want bloody knees? Wow. So I'm just I'm putting out all this effort. I'm expending all this energy and I'm getting weirder and weirder as the days go by. And, uh, but I've got a real hunger for Jesus. I want to see him move. I want to see the stuff that I believe are possible. 
Now, uh, I had a really good friend. His name was Ben Taylor. He, uh, we both had you know, mutual interests, soccer. He, uh, he was going to be a professional player as well. But one day, he, uh, he came to my house at my aunt, and, my aunt and uncle where I was living in Mollington. And uh, he says to me, he sat me down on the couch, and he's just like, you know what? I'm kind of getting a little bit concerned about you. He's like, you know, there's, there's all this energy. There's all this output. But it just it looks like you're, you're kind of stuck in the mud. You know, your, your wheels are spinning, but you're not getting anywhere. And uh, so he sat me down and he's like, you know what? Let's read something together. So he pulled out his little Bible and, uh, and he sat me down and he turned me to, to this little section here in Galatians, which has become a, a favorite for me. But Galatians chapter three, verse one to five. We had this, I think he even said, oh, foolish sack. And I was like, what, buddy? <laughs> Fantastic. But we read it together. He said, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And he said, the only thing I want to learn from you, Zach, is this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's like, are you so foolish? Like, beg your pardon? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Good question to ask. I needed to hear it. I didn't listen. <laughs> oh my goodness, I spent a couple of years just going harder and harder into the law, harder and harder into religion, and I became a better and better sinner, because did you know that the strength of sin is actually the law? So th this is the thing I noticed in my life. I I'd get really, really excited. I knew I was saved. I came to learn that it's not by uh, you know might or power, it's by the Spirit. I came to learn that it's the Spirit quickens, but the flesh kills. I became really hungry, and I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Like, some, I battled with this quite a bit, not just when I got saved, but I'd watch those TV shows. I'd see somebody fall over. I'd see somebody get healed. People jumping up and down, and I'd be like, yeah, I want that. I'm going hard after that. And you have this moment of, like, real intense desire where you're like, Jesus, use me. Holy Spirit, come and do some stuff in my life. Great place to be. But then sometimes the, I would find anyways, the intensity of that desire it would encounter this little lie that would just be whispered. It would come through the voice of people, well-meaning people, but it would come through the voice of books, TV shows, tapes that I listen to. I used to listen to tapes. I won't tell you by who, but tapes. And that little white lie says, that's fantastic. I'll show you how to get Holy Spirit. I'll show you how to get the anointing. Just take these six steps. Take my three-step class. Take my program. Just fast a little bit more. Roll your pants up a little bit higher. I don't know. Weird things, right? Just a little bit of, hey, Holy Spirit, Jesus plus. And that's not good. See, before you know it, when you do that, what starts off with a white-hot intensity of love and passion and desire for Jesus, you want to see the things of God in your life. You really want to see this stuff happening, but then, you know, you, you get frustrated. You, you're not seeing the results that you believe that you should see. And it's because you stopped believing in order to see results, and you started working. So you got to stay rooted in Jesus. You really got to say all, all of our experiences with him, everything that we're pursuing, the power of God, the miracles, the glory, literally, like Jesus said, it is as easy as and straight up as belief, faith. That's it. You got to stay rooted in the word of his grace. That's where the inheritance comes from. It's the word of his grace. So let's, let's keep that as a foundation. 
Let's make sure that we do. Let's allow Holy Spirit to just well up in us just that real burning intensity. I need, the world needs to see Jesus. There's people out there, we've talked about some, I'm sure you've got a whole bunch of people in your world, they need an encounter with God. They're not going to be argued into the kingdom. They're not going to be, they're not just going to wake up one day and be like, oh my goodness, all my weird polarized opinions are wrong. No, they need an encounter with Jesus. They need an encounter with spirit of truth. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage, and we need it. People need it. So let's not, uh, let, let, let's let that happen. Let's let that ferment inside of you. But honestly, it's all by grace, or it's not at all. There is no room for mixture. So when we talk about this thing, the anointing, and we're keeping grace as our foundation, we're talking about the person and the power of Holy Spirit smearing humanity. That, that should give you a picture of intimacy with God, right? Close personal contact with God. I, I, I don't know. I, I like the finger pain analogy. I like to think of Jesus with his hands covered in oil, mm, smearing me with oil, with the Holy Ghost, right? He smears me on the outside. He smears me on the inside. The inner person that I am, who I am on the inside, it's the spirit that sheds abroad the love of God in my heart. It's Holy Spirit that does that. It's the spirit of God that makes me bold and powerful and not timid. It's the Spirit of God that gives me self-control, and He's on the inside of me, and Jesus has smeared me. Thank God for that. Oh my goodness, so it's intimate. It's God in me. God touching me. Close personal contact. It's a, it speaks of a life lived out of relationship with God, out of a relationship with this living presence in your life. But the anointing, it, it also speaks about purpose. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18, one of the verses we'll look at later, it says, uh, It says, Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me too. And then there's a big list of the things that he's been anointed to. So there's purpose. There's partnership with God. It's not just that he's on you and you're having a relationship, but the beautiful thing about God is he's doing something and he's moving. So the references of Holy Spirit, like the river that wells up inside of you, rivers move. God's doing something. So we get to partner with him in the things that he's doing. And, and this is true for the, the, the grand plan that God has for the cosmos, which you can read about in Ephesians, and you should. The, is the plan of God, the summation of all things, is to bring everything together in, in, under what, heaven and earth in one, in Christ Jesus. It's to make known the manifold wisdom of God through us, through us people. Right? God has a great plan for you. you. He's got a plan that he thought about probably millions and millions of years ago. And while he was doing it, he was thinking about you. He was thinking, you got a part to play in that. So, I mean, you've got to, you, you're, you're so significant. Oh, my goodness. The fact that you're, you, little old me. I don't want to say little old you because I don't want to, you're not little. Do you know what I mean? You are special. You are so significant. And you have a big part to play in the plan of God, the unfolding plan of God. So you've got this big picture purpose that God has. But that big picture purpose, it's kind of like a puzzle. You, you, look at a, you look at a puzzle. How many people do a puzzle by looking at one piece first, and then they're like, oh, I wonder what connects to this? You look at the box, right? You have, you have a big picture of what the whole thing's going to look like. And then that's, from there, from the big picture, you extrapolate where the little ones go. Right? So that's kind of true of your life, too. You're engaged with God in this big picture. He's making this massive puzzle, let's say. You're a very, very vital piece. Without it, it's not done. But that little piece, the little things that you have to do in your life, your, your job, your relationships, your family, all those kind of stuff, God wants to smear you 
with his Holy Spirit to bring him into all those little things, the things you don't think matter, the little tasks, when you're driving, when you're at Tim Hortons, all that stuff. God wants to be involved in that. And his plan is to work out this big picture by smearing you with Holy Ghost and getting you involved in every little nook and cranny of life and every little situation in the world. So like Pastor said before, praise God, not everybody's here during the week. Everybody's out. Everybody's doing stuff. And when you're out and you're doing stuff, you're carrying God somewhere that no one else is and no one else can. So it's significant. You can't you can't do this. You can't, you can't despise your life or the little tasks that are in it. See, life itself, the, the life we have in this flesh and blood existence, it's, it's not to be denied. It's not to be rejected or avoided or, or anything. Like it, it's, it's really, really, really significant, and it's all meant to be invaded and smeared with God. Now, when we talk about the anointing, there's a, one of the enemies of the anointing. It's Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, anti-anointing. Now, there's a, there's a way to talk about that, where we're talking about political intrigue and all that kind of stuff, but I'll tell you what, Antichrist is much more effective in your life if you're out looking for, for some, some world figure. What you got to do is look out for that spirit that's whispering in your life, telling you that the non-spiritual things in your world don't matter. That's the spirit of Antichrist. He's trying to divide up your world into your spiritual stuff and your non-spiritual stuff. He wants to shut down the relationship you have with Holy Spirit to get you to not believe that God actually wants to show up and be involved in the small things in your life, in your tasks and the details. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I experience the anointing when I'm at church, when I'm praying for people. What about experiencing the anointing at home? What about experiencing the anointing at work, right? What about when you're buying pig food? I don't know who else does that, but the, the fact is there, there's nothing insignificant because you're a carrier of Almighty God. There's nothing you do that doesn't matter. We, we're going to do Christmas soon, right? The whole point of Christmas, at least how I see it anyways, is, is God decided to get involved in the earth and invade the nitty-gritties of our world, right? He could have come anywhere. He, he could have shown up. Well, I guess he probably had to show up in Jerusalem. But think about what Jerusalem was at the time. Not a great place. Or Bethlehem, not a great place. A stable, not a great place. Israel, probably not the best place on planet Earth. But he shows up in, like, the lowest of the low places because he wants to fill everything. And if we're going to deny access of the anointing, if we're going to shut down our relationships with God in the small places, he can't get there because he's going to get there through you. So Christmas, Jesus comes, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ. And like I said last night, there's a, a Bill Johnson quote that I probably should have put in here, but he says the, the, the Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? Christ is a title. It means the anointed. So Jesus, the anointed one. And we're talking about how we're going to root this whole thing in Christ. So let's talk about Jesus the Christ for a minute. When the, when the earliest disciples called Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, they had a very clear picture of what that meant. They, uh, they, they had the symbols and the ideas from the Old Testament. They had the pictures of the oil and all that kind of stuff. And, and this is a really good example of how some of our language helps us, but how it also fails us. See, they had a very clear expectation for what the anointed one was going to do. So we'll, we'll follow this example through for a minute, but just think about how, what your expectations are. What does it mean to encounter the anointing? What does it look for me to be anointed? What are your expectations? 
Now, Jesus, uh, Jesus' followers, they, they were Jews. They had a, a Jewish mindset about this would, what this would look like. So when you look in the Old Testament, a lot of the examples about uh, the anointing, you, you see prophets. When prophets, at least Elisha anyways, when he was consecrated as a prophet, somebody came, Elijah came along, took oil, and smeared oil on him. The priests, when they were consecrated to be priests, there was blood, there was oil put on them. I think their forehead, their thumb, and their big toe. Kings, when they were consecrated to be kings, there was, there was oil. There was anointing oil. We've got this, uh, this fellow Bezalel he, uh, in Exodus. He, uh, it says the Spirit of God filled him with knowledge and wisdom for all, all manner of craftsmanship. There's a tradesperson getting whacked in the Holy Spirit and being supernaturally anointed and empowered to do his job. That's pretty cool. Yes, There's the temple and, and the instruments of the temple. They were anointed with the Holy Spirit. I think that speaks to the dwelling place of God, the anointed one, Christ himself, and the instruments which we are on the inside smeared and anointed with the Holy Ghost. Now, the anointing, what it does, what it did in the Old Testament anyways, was it marked out the people, the chosen people that God had who were, who were authorized and empowered to act. So the king, for example, could be the king. He had the authority to act as king, make decisions as king, and he had the power to back up those decisions because he was anointed. He was empowered. God's chosen. So why is this all important? Well, when, when, they, when they spoke about the Christ, the anointed one, they, they had the idea that, that the anointed one was the authorized and empowered one to function as God's chosen prophet, priest, and king. And they had very clear ideas about what this would look like. Very clear notion of what Holy Spirit on somebody, the chosen one, was going to do. And we know what some of these ideas are. So Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. It says, A king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. A king. Somebody anointed. There's going to be a ruler. The anointed one, when it comes, is going to manifest as a, as a military king, and he's going to execute judgment. It's going to be great. Isaiah chapter 11, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking about the coming anointed one. And he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. The anointed one's going to come. The anointing, wow, you better watch out. When it comes, it's going to kill people. And then we've got... In those days and at that time, I'll cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So again, we've got the picture that they had of the anointed one. He's coming. He's going to look like something. He's going to look like a mighty king, a mighty ruler. He's going to be this powerful guy. He's coming to smite people, probably the Romans. So can you imagine? This is the picture they have of the anointing. I don't know what your picture of the anointing is. I don't know what your picture of the anointing is in your life. I don't know if it's lightning and thunder and clouds showing up on you before you go to work. Whatever your, your picture of it is. But can you imagine these people with these expectations informed by this belief? When Jesus shows up in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stops short of saying, in the day of vengeance of our God, and then proceeds to tell everybody in that room, hey, all those expectations, all the hopes that you have, all the beliefs and ideas that you have about what it looks like for God to cover and smear his chosen anointed one, that's all coming to pass today, right here. And they're all like, he said, what? I know that guy. 
He's not the anointed one. He's not going to do judgment and execute. What is going on with him? Are, did you, are you okay? So Luke chapter 4, Jesus, when he, the place where he says this, it's the, it's the synagogue. And the scripture says, actually, in verse 16, that it was his custom. I just want to set the scene here for you because I really want to build this idea of, of the, the expectations that they had. So there's a fellow, Ray, Ray Vanderland, he says this about the synagogue. So when you, when you, whenever you read synagogue in the Bible and you're trying to think, oh, what, what's going on? What's Jesus doing here? This is what it is. The synagogue, it was a school, it was a meeting place, a courtroom, a place of prayer. In some towns, the synagogue may even have provided for lodging for travelers. It was the place where small groups of Jewish students assembled for scripture reading and discussion of the Torah. And this meant that worship, study, friendship, community celebration, and even the governance of the community, it all happened by the same people in the same place. It's a community center. It's a religious community center where they have uh, worship services. Now, on the Sabbath, on their... Saturdays, their Saturday service, it, would, uh, it had a, a pattern that it would follow. So everybody would gather in this place, and uh, they'd all get, get up, they'd all say the Shema, they'd all say it together, they'd recite, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. They'd sit down, somebody would stand up and read out of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that person would sit down, somebody else would get up, and they'd read out of the Prophets. Now, the cool thing about this is it was actually a pattern. It was a custom. The readings were chosen in advance. Shout out to liturgy. The the readings were chosen in advance, and the readers were too. There was a schedule. There was a set schedule for when this stuff was going to happen. So uh, when Jesus comes and he reads out of the Isaiah scroll and he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, what's actually happening, what they're reacting to, isn't that he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's that he said, he's on me. He's on me. See, they read Isaiah 61 because the week before they read Isaiah 60. Jesus was reading that day because Bob read the week before. And it was Jesus' turn. So there's a schedule. There's a rotation. So I I joked last week, but it's actually, or last night, but it's actually true. You want to be like Jesus, sign up on a rotation to serve at church. Just saying, right? Jesus did it. He was on week four reading. You could be on week three, nursery, or something like that. Yeah, that'd be so good. All right? Be like Jesus. Sign up. Get schedule. It was his custom to show up to church. But the anointed one, the shocking thing that happens here isn't that he read that. It's that he said, hey, all that that we just read, that's me. And that's fulfilled in your hearing today. In the room full of people that he knew. In a room full of people who he did life with. He did all this community stuff with. And the funny thing is, is he says this to them before he's done the stuff. He says to them, you know, I'm going to go do some stuff. And then you're going to say to me, go do the, do the stuff here that you did elsewhere. So he says it in faith. And the funny thing is, he stands up and he says, that's fulfilled in me today. And what they say is, nope, I know you. You're not anointed. You're the carpenter. Now, this is Nazareth. This is his hometown. This is his buddies. This is the place that Mark tells us when he went back to, he couldn't do many mighty miracles. There's not much he could do in his hometown. And he got met with the same response that he got met with that day when he said, the spirit of the Lord's upon me. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, they, they see the works that he's doing and, and, and they, they say to him, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, 
Judas and Simon? And aren't those his sisters? Like, we, we know where he comes from. And they were offended at him. Because they're like, no. We're see, they were familiar with him. See, they had, a, they had an expectation for what the anointing looked like, and also, apparently, what it couldn't look like. They were offended at the idea that the anointed one could be somebody that they knew. That the anointing could be somebody that, I don't know, how does this work in your life? Well, here's the thing. Jesus stands up, and Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. And he goes out with great boldness, knowing that. Now, sometimes we might stand up. Again, I don't, I don't know if this is something you do. Look in the mirror before you go out. A little self-talk. Adjust your mirror in your car. You're awesome. The Spirit of the Lord's upon you. You say that to yourself. You're really pumped. You're jacked. You've been to a conference. I don't know. You're leaving church today. You feel great. You feel the anointing. And then half an hour later, you're like, oops, where'd it go? It just leaked out somewhere. It's gone. Right? And, and it's just like, I, I know me. What was I thinking? I, who am I kidding? The Spirit of the Lord's not on me. It's not going to do that stuff. I know me. I know myself better. Or maybe you're blessed with a really good friend or family member who just is in your life just to say to you, nope, you're not anointed. I know you. You're not going to do nothing. You're anointed to do squat. I mean, you tried to pray for somebody once and nothing happened. I saw that. I remember that. I'm familiar with that. I saw all the stuff you tried to do. Don't tell me you're going to get up as the anointed one. Don't tell me you're going to go function in the anointing of God. There's nothing in your history that says that's going to happen, or these, those days are long gone. See, familiarity and false expectations, a little alliteration, I guess, they're no friends of the anointing. And what I mean by that is, is you can become, a, you can become a, an old wineskin. You don't have to belong to a denominational church for that to happen. You can become an old wineskin, something that, that's not able to receive what the anointing, what the Holy Spirit's doing in your today, if you've become dull, if you've become too familiar. And by that, I mean, you're just like, nah, I'm coming to church on Sunday. Nothing's going to happen. I came last week. Nothing happened. We're all talking about this move of God, all this stuff that's going to go on, but eh, been there for a couple of years. Nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. I know everybody there. I know what's happening. Not going to happen just because you're just so used to it. You're so familiar with it. You're so comfortable. It's, it's not a good place to be. It can kill your ability to receive what God's doing in the now. Now, praise God, if that's your attitude, if that's, if that's your expectation, your mindset, a little bit of rubbing with the anointing oil can make an old wineskin back into something that works and functional. So it's good news still. But don't get familiar. Don't, don't, don't be too, uh, nah, nah, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Not a good place to be, especially when you have big hopes and high expectations for what God's going to do, especially when you, wanna, you really want to see God. I mean, that'll quench it. That'll kill it. Don't, don't let that have a place in your heart. Really don't do that. So Jesus, he stands up in this place where there's, there's false expectations. There's contempt. No, not you, Jesus. There's contempt. And he stands up in the midst of that place, in the midst of these false expectations. And he says, no, no, Holy Spirit, he is on me. Not for vengeance, but he's on me to console and to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I know he's on me and he's going to do good things. I know it. I know he's here. I know he's going to do good things here. He's gonna. Now, coincidentally, just as a side note, 
he doesn't say that part in Isaiah 61 where it talks about judgment and vengeance. The anointing is more into blessing, comforting, uplifting people. All right? See, the anointing comes. It's on you, in you. You can feel Holy Spirit. He's coming to do stuff, and it can be different than what you expect it to look like. If you despise it, if you treat it with contempt, if you treat it with familiarity, you won't enjoy its benefits. It's kind of like when Jesus said, you know, you know that bit about the prophet, whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive from the prophet the prophet's reward? Basically, what that means is that if you can recognize the anointing on somebody, on some group of people, on, on someone, if you recognize that anointing and you honor it, you're going to benefit from what you're seeing. If somebody has an anointing, if the anointing is somewhere and you don't recognize it, you just, yeah, that's just so-and-so, you're not going to reap the benefits of what they have. And it's not because God doesn't want you to. It's just because you've kind of shut yourself down to it. It's not even that you've disqualified yourself. You're just literally not open to it. So false expectations, familiarity, not a good thing when we're talking about experiencing Holy Spirit. I hope that's okay. All right, so we want to we know, what is it then that we are looking for? What does it mean to be anointed, to be smeared with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Well, it looks like a couple things. First of all, it's demonstrative and it's powerful. Acts 10 verse 38 says that God anointed Jesus and he went around doing good and healing all were who oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So the anointing does something. It destroys yokes, it heals, it delivers, it sets free. But there's also something I want you to see here. It says, for God was with him. So we're all anointed, everybody. You, if, you, if you've embraced Jesus Christ, you're in the anointed one. But sometimes God will show up in your life in a special way. Sometimes there's just, God's, God's in the room today. He's doing stuff. He's doing something special. We experience this when we come together in a way that you can't have an experience of when you just stay at home, when you don't come to church, right? You can't have the, the corporate anointing experience in the prayer closet, it's good to be in the prayer closet. It's good to spend time with Jesus on your own. But I'm telling you, you're missing something if you don't come to church. Because God's here in a way that he promises that he will be, but only here. So we, we got to know this. But also in our lives, there's times when, when the Holy Spirit comes and he shows up to do something specific. So in the life of Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees come. And it says that the power of God was present with them to heal. Now think about that. He's anointed. He's got the Holy Spirit on the inside. He's got the gifts of the Spirit. But he still recognizes. There's a moment where he's like, wow, God's here in a special way. He wants to do something. And I just want to propose that's something that we need to be open to as well. It's great to know that you're anointed, but it's not good to walk through life like, I'm anointed, I'm anointed, I'm anointed, and not listen to the Holy Spirit because he wants to speak to you and have a relationship. So the anointing, it's demonstrative. It brings results in you, on you, with you. We can see that in the life of Jesus. Now, the other thing about the anointing is that it's happy. If you're smeared with the Holy Ghost on the inside and out, it's going to be happy and it's going to be joyful. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, it says of Jesus, Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness more than all of your companions. It's the oil of gladness. It's the oil of joy. You get smeared in the Holy Ghost. You're going to be happy inside and out. It's not dull. It's not dour. It's not sour. It's not sad. It's... And, Religion is such a killer. It's really a life killer. It's funny that the, the, the things that I was engaged in, in pursuing the anointing and pursuing Holy Spirit in my life, those are things that will kill you. They'll rob you of your joy. 
they'll, they'll just kind of diminish you as a human being. They'll suck the joy right out of you and restrict you. But God's idea of spirituality, of experiencing Holy Spirit, it's full of abundance. Look at this, Psalm 36. It says, They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them to drink of the river of your delights. It's in Corinthians where it says, We've all been given one spirit to drink. The spirit that you drink is the river of delights. It's a, it's a happy thing. So Proverbs says, Wisdom calls out. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come and eat of my bread. And drink of the wine that I mixed. See, there's, a, there's an experience in God where you, you, you have wisdom. You have know-how. You, have, uh, you just know stuff. You get understanding by experiencing, not necessarily by learning and pursuing. Right? There's, sometimes there's an experience where you need to drink the wine of God, and there comes life. And your life is light. And your light is life. So it, it's full of fullness, the anointing. Fullness and without measure. John 3.34, for God does not give the Spirit with measure. So the anointing, the, the limitless measure of the Holy Spirit you have access to is really, really important when we talk about Holy Spirit, that you know that Holy Spirit is in you, and that is the whole, full Holy Spirit. You don't have a little tiny one. You've got the Holy Spirit who is the Lord God Almighty, and he lives inside of you in a full way. But your experience of him might be limited, but you're limited by your capacity. And by that, I mean, remember Pastor Carl's sermon from a couple weeks ago. There's the story in 2 Kings verse 4 of a widow who was married to one of the sons of the prophets. She had anointing oil, and that was about it. Elisha comes to her, and she's like, Elisha, what do I do? I'm in debt. The creditors are coming to take my sons. What am I going to do? All I have is the anointing oil. That's all I've got. And you can just think to, him, to myself, he's like, oh my goodness, that's all you got? That's all you got. Like, imagine if the church was able to say, all I've got is the anointing oil. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there that we're, we're engaging in. Uh, and I mean, like, we as in, like, the Royal We, the capital C church all over. But we're, we're trying to pursue aims and goals and objectives with almost everything but the anointing oil. My goodness, I would to God we could all say, all I have is the anointing oil. So Elisha says to the widow, he says, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't just gather a few. In other words, have a big vision for what I'm about to do by the Spirit of God. And when you've come in, you shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went in from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. And it came to pass that when the vessels were full, when she filled up the very last vessel, uh, she says to her son, hey, get me another one. And, and he says to her, that's it. That's all we got. And then it says, the oil ceased. See, the oil flows as long as it flows. So Jesus said something like, uh, freely you've received, so freely give. Oil flows as long as it flows. You, you, have an un, you, you almost don't have permission to not expect God to do big things in you and through you. You don't. You really don't. So the question that we asked last week is, how do we flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How do we experience today the anointing? How do we partner with God in the anointing? And I'm going to give the same answer that I did give last week if you were here. And it's just this. This is five-letter word, faith. That's it. Do you believe that? Honestly and truly. If you believe that at the core of your being, you're going to do so well. Because Jesus said, only believe. If you believe, you'll speak to the mountain and it'll move. If you believe. Be it unto you according to your faith. If you can believe. See, the thing that we have 
is we have an anointing on the inside of us. So 1 John 2, 27, it says this. It says, but the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you don't need that anyone should teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true, it's not a lie, and just as it's taught you, you will abide in him. In other words, in my non-King James Version translation of what that means, when it comes to partnering with Jesus, when it comes to feeling and experiencing and flowing with God and partnership with the anointing, you have Holy Spirit inside of you. Don't let somebody else put a yoke of bondage on you and tell you this is how you do it. This is your six steps. This is your nine ways. This is the program. Don't buy into that stuff. Don't do it. You have an anointing on the inside of you who's going to teach you. He will teach you. You just believe. That's your part. Believe. Believe. When you believe, actions will come. There's, 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 there's things to do. Faith without works is dead. You're going to do some stuff, but let those stuff be informed by your belief. Right? Don't, don't embrace a yoke of bondage that says, this is how you get more spiritual. You got saved by grace, but now you want all this other stuff. Don't buy that. Don't do it. I can say, tell you from personal experience, you'll do weird stuff, like get bloody knees. It's not cool. And it just doesn't work. It's an insult to the spirit of grace and supplication. So it's a, what we're talking about here is a relationship. And I want you to see this. Jesus had a relationship and a partnership with Holy Spirit that not only was he able to respond to the inner movement of the Holy Spirit, but he could also recognize and respond to Holy Spirit when he showed up in a special way and there was something specific to do. See, this is, learning how to flow in the anointing and all that kind of stuff, it's not a step program. It, it really is a relationship that starts from faith is carried through by faith. It's going to finish in faith because it's all by grace. So there's nobody who's going to excel at it in any way other than an embrace of grace. So Sean Bolt said this, uh, Hebrew mindset dictates that the power of God is his very nature manifested through his, present or his, his presence or his connection to us. The power of God is not a live wire of current or spiritual electricity. It's not this impersonal force that you plug into. And if you can just maneuver yourself to plug in right, all of a sudden, zap, God's going to do stuff through you. No. God's power, it's his love nature, and it's the manifestation of his personhood. I think that's beautiful. When things happen, when miracles happen, as we heard today, when there's a manifestation of the glory of God, it's a manifestation of himself. When he does something and blesses you in a miraculous, supernatural way, he's not done anything other than to manifest his own nature towards you. And you've accessed something of who he is. And I hope you know it's by grace. It is. So it's a relationship. No shortcut, no key, no formula. And it's relational because God is relational. So when you experience the anointing, when you experience the presence and the power of God, what you're doing is you're experiencing a relationship with the God who wants to touch you. The God who wants to bless you, who wants to smear you, who wants through you to have access into every aspect of your life and every aspect of your world. So what? There's probably like 200 people here. But if you think about this, the 200 people in the room, how many people do you know? How many people are you in contact with on a weekly basis? I don't know. Maybe, let's say it's 10. There's 2,000 people out there who have access to an encounter with God because of the smearing of God on you and in you. That's ridiculous. That's the plan of God. It's like the yeast that, that gets in the bread and leavens the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? It's about infiltrating society, infiltrating our lives with the presence and power of God, and you have been anointed. 
First Corinthians tells us that. It says the one who establishes us, the one who's put us in Christ, and the one who's anointed us is God. God has anointed you. You are anointed. You can stand up and you can say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do who knows what. But we know it's greater works, right? So the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. I hope you feel that today. I hope you know it. I hope you, you feel it on the inside. You feel it on the outside. And all this stuff about the Holy Spirit that we've talked about, he's a person. He's an advantage in your life. Take advantage of the advantage that you have. And develop this relationship with Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, the starting place is grace. The finishing line is grace. Everything in between is grace. All right, so stick with Jesus. You're going to be okay. All right, so freely you've received, freely give. I think that encapsulates the whole idea of grace. What God's given you, it's all free. All right, let's, let's stand up together. All right, so what, we, what we've been talking about today, the last four weeks, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's that easy. It's a relationship with the God who loves you. That might sound intimidating. That sound like, wow, what? God wants to know me? He sure does. He wants to know you. He wants to be intimately involved in every aspect of your life. And so I just want to give you a, an opportunity today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never asked Jesus to be part of your life, you've never said, Jesus, let's do life together. I want to experience this relationship. I want to experience this empowering in my life. If that's you here today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three and invite you just to raise your hand. And we're all going to pray together. It's just you and Jesus. So if everybody else, if we can all just bow our heads, close our eyes. And if there's anybody today who wants to accept Jesus and say, Jesus, let's do this together. At the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hands. Well, I don't see any hands, but I do know this. You've all got an opportunity this week to take Holy Spirit, to take the anointing of Almighty God into wherever you're going. And there's people out there that don't need Him or that don't know Him but do need Him. They need, to, they need the God that you have, the God that you carry. So the altars are open, and I pray that you would get prayer, get ministry. You know, if you haven't been to the altar lately, if you need to be altered, come to the altar and get an alteration, and there's people ready to minister and play for you. But bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen.